Hey, greetings, everyone. Lieutenant Colonel Allen West. College football season is right around the corner. Welcome to the Steadfast and Loyal Podcast. You gotta light them up before they burn it down. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Steadfast and Loyal Podcast. And now I am joined by Gavin Mario Wax, a young man that I know right now, incredibly impressive. He is a New York-based conservative political activist, commentator, columnist, operative, and strategist. Gavin serves as the 76th president of the New York Young Republican Club, the oldest and largest young Republican club in the country. He was elected unanimously in April of 2019 and was recently re-elected unanimously to a second term in December of 2020. Gavin is also an ambassador for both Turning Point USA and Live Action, a Newsmax insider, and the corresponding secretary of, secretary of the Association of New York State Young Republican Clubs. In 2020, Gavin was awarded the Republican Youth of the Year Award by the Queens Village Republican Club, the oldest Republican club in the country. And I've been fortunate to be with your organization and also the Queens Village Republican Club. In 2001, Gavin was recognized as a rising star by the Association of New York State Young Republican Clubs. Gavin has appeared on Bold TV, Fox News, Newsmax, One America News Network, Real America's Voice News, Right Side Broadcasting Network, The First TV, Victory News, and Compound Media. Gavin's articles have been published in American Greatness, American Thinker, The Daily Caller, The Federalist, The Foundation for Economic Education, The Hill, Human Events, The Mises Institute, The National Pulse, Newsmax, Newsweek, Real Clear Defense, Real Clear Policy, Real Clear Politics, Town Hall, The Washington Examiner, The Washington Times, and The Western Journal. You're a busy young man. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Well, Gavin, it's good to see you, and uh, thank you for having me up there for your gala event and allowing me to uh, stand before your New York Young Republican Club. And you're doing a fantastic job. You know, the fact that you have the largest young Republican organization in the United States of America in New York, it ain't Texas. It's not some of these other places. What's the secret to that success? Uh, it's a good question. I mean, I think at the end of the day, it really just comes down to, you know, having principles, truly believing in conservatism. I think, you know, a lot of the uh, the wisdom that's given by consultants and others in a place like New York is uh, that you need to, you know, be a little flaky. You can't be too conservative. You can't be too much of a Republican. You have to kind of be wishy-washy if you want to win over uh, the masses here. But I think we've done the exact opposite. We've become a very uh, MAGA, Trump, conservative club. Uh, here in the belly of the beast. And I think there's a market for it. And I think people are looking for alternatives uh, to the left, to liberalism, to the policies that have uh, run this city and state into the ground. And if you're willing to 
present that alternative. If you build it, they will come. So we've certainly built it. Uh, as you saw uh, at last year's gala, we had mm -hmm. close to 500 people. Our club has grown to about 1,100 dues-paying members. Uh, so the success uh, is clear and the results are clear. And it just goes to show that the future of this movement uh, is being steadfast in our beliefs and principles. Well, what well, you're basically saying is that if you are a constitutional conservative, be a constitutional conservative and create the clear delineation between that and progressive socialism. Uh, because too often, you're right, the consultants and the political elite class, the establishment class says that we have to be a lesser version. And we just saw that recently with the, uh, the gun control legislation where you had 29 Republicans in the House and the Senate, of course, uh, that supported that legislation, which really undermines our Second Amendment rights. So... How is it that young people are leading the way and saying that this is what we stand for, this is what we believe in? And again, in the city of New York, where most people would think that's not possible. I think uh, we're seeing trends uh, among young people in this country towards the right. They're growing up. Uh, in an age dominated by Democrat leftist globalist policies, and they are a lost generation. They're losing out economically compared to their parents and grandparents. They're losing out uh, spiritually. They're losing out in many ways, and they're looking for those alternatives. So when it's presented to them, they may not immediately jump at it, but slowly but surely they are shifting right. You're seeing the next generation, the Zoomers, the Gen Z. Uh, they're shifting, you know, most to the right since the silent generation. So there are positive trends uh, working in our favor. And it's just about staying clear on the message and not waffling. And you have a lot of these Republicans uh, who cave constantly, who don't who are not really principled, who do not believe uh, in the values of their party and conservatism. That's why those 29 uh, turncoats uh, voted against our Second Amendment rights. Many of them are in seats and districts uh, that are very safe Republican, including mm -hmm. here in city and in, and in Long Island and elsewhere, where many of them voted uh, uh, for this gun control. So I think you're going to see repercussions in the primaries, if not this cycle, the cycle thereafter. Uh, and we're going to see some changes in the Republican Party leadership going forward. Well, it's interesting to me because it's almost as if the progressive socialist left, which is the Democrat Party, and the GOP establishment has now become the man. And young people are rebelling and revolting against the man. And that leads to my next question, next question. When we talk about federalism, do you think that young people are concerned about the usurpation of many of their individual rights, freedoms, and liberties by people that are, you know, higher at the, at the higher levels there in Washington, D.C., or even up there in Albany? I think you make a great point uh, saying that a lot of uh, young people are, uh, you know, inherently, you know, anti-authority. So if the authority and power is left wing, that they're going to be uh, more right wing, more conservative. I think that plays a part of it. And as far as the federalism question is concerned, I think, you know, a lot of young people lost uh, close to two years of their young lives, whether it was in high school, whether it was in college, because of these lockdowns, because of these draconian COVID measures, they lost a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of time building memories and enjoying experiences when they could have been out enjoying their lives, you know, building careers, getting the education that they were working towards. Instead, you know, the one segment of society that was the healthiest, that was the most protected against COVID was told to uh, stay indoors and, and lost out on a lot of opportunities. And I think they realized that that came uh, from 
the heavy hand uh, of the state, of, of the federal government and of many uh, overzealous uh, state governments. So I think they see uh, that federalizing even more power in D.C. Uh, could be a detriment. I think they see that, you know, the centralization of power in D.C. has led to, you know, the gutting of American industry, the gutting of a lot of opportunities that are no longer available to them. You know, there's a higher rate of them living at home. They're not being able to buy houses like they used to. They're not able to get married like they used to. They're not able to go out and start businesses. They're not getting jobs that are able to really pay the bills because of inflation, a whole variety of other reasons. So, you know, they can maybe be swayed by the Bernie message, by the socialist left. But I think we've been getting light versions of the socialist left in this country for many years. And uh, if they look at the alternatives, uh, they'll see that there's 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 better possibilities uh, for a future among the right. So I think, you know, it's a fight that we have to keep up. We can't rest on our laurels. Yeah. There's a lot of organizations doing outreach at the college, uh, young professional level, whether it's Turning Point, College Republicans, mm -hmm. Young Republicans, whatever it may be. But uh, it's an uphill fight because all the institutions are working against us, whether it's uh, the media, pop culture, academia, et cetera. These are all institutions that are shaping young minds. So uh, we're in an uphill fight for sure. Well, I think that many young people are starting to realize that free does not equal freedom. If someone is giving it to you for free, then there's an aspect of your individual freedom that you are uh, surrendering to them. And so you talked about all of those economic issues and things of this nature, but how do young people there in New York City feel about the most basic thing, which is their safety and their security? Well, this is a great question. I mean, we've seen tons of people leave New York, many personal friends of mine over the last two years, because the crime wave in this city has has reached unprecedented levels. We're seeing uh, a crime epidemic, not only in this city, but in urban areas, suburban areas, even rural areas across the country. And it's only going to get worse as the economic situation gets worse and the, uh, the policy of being uh, easygoing with criminals and being, in fact, pro-criminal uh, continue to spread through many of these district attorney offices throughout the country. So what we're seeing in New York is not a New York isolated issue. It's an issue that's impacting uh, the entire country. And you have many uh, young people who are experiencing uh, situations that a few years ago would have been unheard of. You know, they don't want to leave their apartments. They're scared of using the subways, public transit at night. They're scared of walking at night in certain neighborhoods, particularly young women. Uh, so this is an issue that's impacting them directly. Uh, and it's a direct consequence of the policies that Democrats have implemented in New York. Uh, bail reform, which is not really reform. They just got rid of cash bail. There's not really any reform there. They just mm -hmm. It. And a whole variety of other of other issues like not prosecuting crimes ranging from low quality of life crimes up until, you know, assault. I mean, just a few days ago, we saw uh, a deranged, uh, troubled man uh, try to, I, I believe, assassinate Congressman Lee Zeldin at a mm -hmm. camp rally. Uh, and he was, you know, let, left off, let out on his own recognizance within a few hours. I mean, these are the types of policies uh, that are enabling a crime wave. Uh, so I think young people see that. I think they're directly impacted by it. And they're fleeing places like New York for greener pastures, whether it's Texas or Florida, two states that you're familiar with. Mm -hmm. I've seen many friends leave for those states uh, because not only do they provide better economic opportunities, but also generally they're, they're safer. Uh, so New York is at the front lines of this crime wave. Uh, and Republicans have to get tough on crime they have to be yeah. it has to be part of a national agenda no you're absolutely right and that's why i saw the recent supreme court decision that ruled against the state of new york and the whole thing about you know the concealed carry where you know you have to justify to me the government that you should be able to protect yourself outside of your home 
Well, you know, hello, McFly. I mean, look at, like you said, what has happened in the subways, what's happened all across the streets. You are turning, you know, the, the streets into a, a free fire zone for the criminals. I mean, you're releasing them back out. I mean, or you're a bodega worker and you're the one that gets put into prison for defending yourself. So do you think that message is getting out to, to folks there in New York City is that, hey, we're going in the wrong direction. Eric Adams letting us down. Alvin Bragg's letting us down. Governor Hochul, you're letting us down. Oh, absolutely. I mean, look, Eric Adams won his primary in the Democratic field against many more left wing opponents because he ran on being a former cop, even a former Republican and being uh, somebody who would be tough on crime. That was the mandate he won on. And he won with a coalition uh, that aligned because they were sick of rising crime. And uh, now he's not doing anything to effectuate on this mandate. And I think he's going to have a tough reelection, both in his own primary, because he may be primaried from the left and also in the general, because he's failed to deliver on his campaign promises to reduce crime. But I actually feel bad for the guy in, in, a, in a certain way, because his party, the Democrat Party in here in New York, has run so far to the left on this issue that when he makes appeals to Albany and says, hey, guys, we need to you know revisit bail reform. Hey, guys, we need to get serious about prosecuting criminals. They, they scoff at him. And it's not really a policing problem in New York. We have a very well-trained police yes. department, very well-funded. It's not the officers on the ground. It's not the police. It's not the techniques. It's the fact that they arrest these guys and they're not prosecuted and they're out on the streets within 24 hours. I mean, talk about demoralizing that you're arresting the same guy week in, week out for the same types of crimes. And then one day he does something even more egregious. He, he commits a violent act. He commits a murder. I mean, that's what we're up against. It's not a policing issue. It's a prosecute, prosecutorial issue. It's mm -hmm. a judicial issue. And uh, it's all part of the left wing's agenda to just bring chaos into this country and just be pro-criminal. And I think a lot of young people, a lot of people are seeing it. Uh, I think that's what's going to lead to a lot of shifts among Asian voters, among Hispanic voters here in the city who did see a shift to the right, uh, both under Trump and also in the most recent uh, mayoral election. So I think we'll have gains there. But I think Republicans have to constantly message on this and say, listen, yes. we have to be tough on crime. We're not going to be light on crime. We're not going to push forward, you know, sentencing reform and things like that. No, we need we need tougher sentences. We need these guys to stay behind bars and we're going to protect your right to self-defense. I think the Jose Alba case with the bodega store mm -hmm. where he was prosecuted for defending himself against a career criminal. I think that woke a lot of people up. I think it woke a lot of people up in traditionally uh, Democrat voting blocks. And you have to remember a lot of these Democrat voting blocks in the inner cities. I mean, they're the biggest uh, victims of this yes. rising crime. They're the biggest victims of gang violence. They're the biggest in victims of the communities being, you know, destroyed under this tide of gangs and violence and drugs and all these other, you know, social ills. So, you know, they see it way before, you know, the uh, the uh, limousine liberal who lives in, say, the Upper West Side or, you know, in Greenwich Village, you know, they live in their doorman building and, and they're a little far removed from the crime, the crime that they vote essentially for. Uh, so it's amazing. an interesting disconnect. You have these white liberals uh, who are very, you know, shielded from their own policies and it's the minorities they claim to protect who are suffering the most. Well, it's interesting we're talking about that, and we just heard the sirens in the background. But basically what the left has created is the old Soviet Politburo, where there's a cut line, and the people above the cut line live a certain way, and everyone beneath there, uh, they're the serfs, and they live in a different way. So you just talked about Lee Zeldin. You just talked about the overall atmosphere, not just in New York City, but New York, period. What's the chances of Governor Hochul uh, not winning re-election there? Well, she hadn't was never elected. She was appointed, so not uh, winning her election. 
I think it's our best uh, cycle in a very long time. I think the national trends are in our favor. I think Hochul is a very weak candidate. As you mentioned, she's never been elected before to this office. Uh, she was sort of put in by Cuomo because she was a lightweight. She was not really threatening. And now she finds herself, uh, you know, at the seat of power. I think, you know, she's not exactly running a great campaign. I think the Democrats in this state have uh, really run amok since they took over, you know, complete uni party control in 2018. I think people forget as, as, as most as most recently as 2018. 18, uh, you know, there wasn't a trifecta Democrat mm -hmm. control in the state. We still had a, a tenuous grasp on the state Senate. So there was a degree of a two-party control, a two-party two system in this state. So I think it's going to be a good year for us down ballot. The question uh, as far as the gubernatorial race is concerned, I think it's going to still be a tough race. I mean, you still have to remember that a lot of these states like New York, where you have a high concentration uh, of an urban population that's run by Democrat machines, is always going to uh, tip the balance against us. You see that in Illinois. You see that even more recently in places like Georgia with Atlanta yes. and the growing power of the Atlanta machine. Uh, so in New York, it's certainly going to be tough. I think, you know, we're going to have to do a lot of good outreach, uh, not only to secure the Trump base, white working class, but also Hispanic working class, mm -hmm. also Asian voters, uh, many people who have been uh, severely uh, disaffected by the left wing uh, agenda here in New York. I think we're going to see some reversion in the suburbs. You look at Long Island, for instance, this is an area of New York that flipped red in a big way. They won all their local races, mm -hmm. county executive, county legislature, the DA races out there. So I think if we can have some suburban reversion, gain back to where we were, you know, a few years ago in the suburbs, I think if we can make inroads in the city, because really, if you get a third of the vote in New York City, you flip the state. And that's what it's about. It's about it's about gaining on the margins. And you see in a place like PA, which Trump won in 2016, in part because he ran up the numbers in places like Philly and the suburbs, and there were marginal gains in different places. So if we have marginal gains in New York City and we hold our base and grow our base elsewhere, you know, we could have a surprise win. It's, it's not out of the realm of possibility. I think uh, Congressman Zeldin is a good candidate. He's running a good campaign. Uh, so there's a lot to be hopeful for. Well, I think the most important thing is that we have to have the messaging that says these urban population centers where the Democrats have been controlled 50, 60, maybe 70 years, that's where you see the greatest amount of failure of their policies. And, you know, I just wrote a piece in town hall that was called the modern enslavement of the black community. That's what you see happening, being the lack of education opportunities, economic opportunities, the lack of safety and security. So I just think that we have to really be able to engage and message properly. So speaking of which, how can people follow you, Gavin, uh, out there, all of the great work that you're doing? Absolutely. You can follow me on uh, social media, Twitter. It's the biggest one of mine, Instagram, Facebook, et cetera, at Gavin Wax, G-A-V-I-N-W-A-X. You can follow the club, the New York Young Republican Club at NYYRC. We cover the entire uh, tri-state area, the metro region. So if you're any of those areas, Connecticut, New Jersey, New York, wherever, uh, we welcome you to join. Uh, and we're growing every day. We're building a movement here in the city. We look to uh, you know have more people be a part of it. Well, we're going to try to, I know, get the uh, a release of Uncle Tom 2 up there in New York City, and I think that's another great eye-opener. Gavin, you're a great, fantastic young man. When I see young men like you and young women, I know that the service and sacrifice that I gave for 22 years in uniform, we will secure this great constitutional republic. So God bless you, and thank you so much for being on the Steadfast and Law podcast. Thank you, sir. God bless. All right. Take care. Ladies and gentlemen, I just want to say thank you to Gavin Mario Wax for being on with us here at the Steadfast and Law Podcast. And again, hit that like button and share it with your friends. God bless and have a great night.
before they burn it down.